Tonight I'd like you to take your Bible and turn to what I consider to be one of the best missionary books in the Bible. It's only four chapters long. It's the book of Philippians. The entire four chapters is really pretty much all about missions. And the Apostle Paul is writing to this church in gratitude for their mission involvement. You know, I said last night, and I want to reiterate this thought, as we said in America, and we hold missions conferences like we do, and we always try to get our members to increase their giving from year to year because there's new guys coming on the scene all the time that need support. And last year's giving uh, is pretty much committed to the ones that you've probably taken on in years gone by. And usually when you go to a church, if you're on deputation, uh, many churches would say, well, we'll be able to support you if we get a good increase in our, our missions budget. And that's what they usually say. And uh, so if they don't have that increase, then they pretty much flatten out to where they can support the ones that they've already been supporting, but they're not going to be able to reach out and affect others and be able to help somebody else get to the field. So we always try at a missions conference to get the members that have been already giving to step out by faith and give a little bit more. And then we always try to, in our church, as I'm sure it is here, to try to get the brand new members that may not even be on board yet giving to World Missions to start somewhere. And and start, started, you know, I remember when I first got saved, um, they said, well, just start at $5 a week. Could you afford $5 a week? Well, to a guy that had only been saved a few weeks, $5 a week seemed like a lot of money. And yet, there are people today that spend more than that on just one cup of coffee at a Starbucks and think nothing of putting $5.75 down for a Starbucks. And so, you know, we think about at least start somewhere giving to missions and let God show you what he can do to supply that. And then each year it becomes easier to say, I want to give more. And so, uh, but it's not all about economics, as I said last night. Because sometimes we get the idea that missions is just all there is to it is what we put in the offering plate to help a missionary. But but I want you to think about this tonight, and I want to preach on this subject. Who's affected by your mission's involvement? Who's affected by your mission's involvement? Have you ever wondered where, when you put that money in the offering plate, where who's affected by that? I mean, how far that goes? I, I, Paul, I think, in the book of Philippians, helps us to see who's affected by your mission's involvement. And so, uh, if you have it, Philippians chapter number 4, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 10, and if you're able to stand just out of honor and respect to the reading of the Word tonight, if you're not able to stand, then you can remain seated, and I'll begin reading in verse number, uh, number 10. It says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to uh, to abound. Everywhere in, in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding... Ye have well done. I like that term. 
you, you've done well, you've done something good here, that, you ha- that ye did communicate with my affliction. And that word to communicate doesn't mean just verbal communication. The word means uh, to distribute. They, they, they sent offerings. And so he says, you've done, you did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. Now think about what I said last night. When Paul went to Macedonia, Philippi was a church there. In fact, it was the church. It was in Philippi where he was thrown into prison. It said they were. They did. There was a group there. They didn't want him there. And it's interesting to me because almost all of the Pauline epistles that where he writes to churches is that you really don't read where he wrote a letter at least uh, that was inspired of God to any of his churches. Pretty much in his first missionary journey, Thessalonica, Corinth, Philippi, all the ones that he wrote to pretty much are the ones that were on that trip that we talked about last night on his second missionary journey. And here he's writing to the church at Philippi, and he says, there was no church when I went out that communicated with me or distributed anything to help my afflictions or my needs uh, in, in regards to giving or receiving anything, but ye only, you were the only church that, that helped me with this endeavor. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and, I, and abound, and I, I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for what we've already heard and already seen, how our hearts have been blessed. We pray now that you would uh, give us uh, our hearts' attention to uh, the preaching of the word of God tonight and what you have to say to us. Lord, we know that you are a, an attentive audience. When we sing praises to you, you listen to us. But Lord, you require us to listen to you when you are speaking to us. So help us to take the time tonight to be the audience as you speak through your word tonight and to use me and fill me and give me liberty and help me to convey these things that you would laid upon my heart to help challenge this church about who really gets affected by our mission's involvement. And we'll be careful to thank you for these things in Jesus' name, for his sake. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Let me say very emphatically again that the whole purpose of your existence as a local New Testament church is all about worldwide missions. I mean, really... And beyond that, every, everything else that we do as a church uh, should be secondary uh, to our existence as a church. And the Bible is clear that a church's primary objective is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, I understand that you know, we've got countries that don't want the gospel and they don't want missionaries and 
they're, they're, they're not open to missionaries, but we still have a command to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. Someone said the 1040 window, which probably uh, takes in the bulk of the population of our world, a good large portion of that, since we're now at a point of about 7.7 billion people upon the earth, they estimate by 2000, the end of 2020, it will exceed 8 billion people on, on the planet. And when you think about India having close to or maybe a billion people, and, and the same thing with China and then other Asian countries, in that area that really is not open to the gospel is the largest portion of the population of the world. And, and we're, we, we very few missionaries go to those places. And, and it's obvious that they go where the doors are open, and Philippines is very open to the gospel, thank the Lord for that. And Korea, South Korea, is very open to the gospel. In fact, uh, it, it's been proven in the last five years, maybe ten years, that actually the Philippines now and uh, South Korea, but especially the Philippines, is actually sending out more missionaries, fundamental missionaries, than, than the United States is. Uh, they have conferences over there uh, every year where they have over 7,000 pastors and men and women from different nations that are going out to these other nations. I mean, God is, God is cha- changing the complexion of the Philippines from the years that I was stationed there in 1970 you almost saw hardly any motor vehicles at all. It was always tricycles and and uh, and jeepneys and so forth and and uh, you know oxen drawn carts and and that. But now you see automobiles and high rise buildings and so forth. You'd say, well, yeah, but things have changed. Really, I think God's blessing the Philippines for becoming a missionary sending house, like He used to bless America when we had that heart here. And now we're not sending them out like we used to. And so uh, we find here that, 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 that God commands us that, that the existence, the primary objective of the church is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And I can't stress that enough because churches all over our own country are, are making secondary things the main thing. And the main thing is becoming the secondary thing. I mean, I mean, literally, you can talk to missionaries that are getting contacted on the field that are being told by some of the churches that used to support them, we're not going to be supporting you now, we're dropping our missionaries. Or we're not, we're not having revivals anymore. In fact, we don't even have a Sunday night service, they'll say, anymore. Or a Wednesday night service. We only have one service. And, and, and really, we don't have the monies now to be supporting you. And, and I'm telling you, that's not just one or two churches. It's happening all across our country. Where, where churches that used to be mission-sending houses and supporting are not doing that anymore. And what they've done is they've turned inward and they're entertaining themselves and they're doing things that have fun for themselves and they're forgetting about the great commission to take the gospel into all the world. And that's still our primary objective and it's never changed. It's still the objective today. And so uh, in this letter to the Philippian church, the Apostle Paul writing now from a Roman prison, is expressing his gratitude to this church for their participation in helping him in his efforts to get the gospel out to a lost and dying world. And folks, sometimes that task can be a little overwhelming and challenging in the scope of trying to reach the whole world, when you think about it. I mean, with that number of people in the world, 
how in the world are we going to reach all the people of the world with the gospel? Well, in Paul's case, it resulted in him suffering and doing without. But one thing that Paul learned in that, even though he sometimes was abased and, and, and faced bonds, he could still rejoice knowing that nothing could bind the power of the gospel. Let, let me read something to you that Paul wrote. He said in 2 Timothy 2.9, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, because they just considered Paul was an evildoer. He said, so I'm suffering trouble as they consider me to be an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. So he's saying, even though that they've bound me, you can't bind the word of God. And then he said in Philippians 1.12, I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places, and many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul is saying, hey, even though that I had to be thrown into prison and beaten for all of that, the word of God is still going out in spite of my bonds, in spite of what I have to suffer, in spite of the, the scope of trying to get this gospel out to a lost and dying world. Now, now, in this Philippian letter, Paul's going to reveal to us as to who is affected and who benefits from uh, their mission giving and involvement and how it has a, a greater impact than we might think. It, it affects, uh, uh, go much further than just the offering plate. And, uh, and much further than just economic. So, first of all, in verse number 15 of our text here, in Philippians 4, beginning in verse number 15, he says, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel... I'm going to stop reading there. And I, when I read that, Paul makes it clear that their missions giving had a direct uh, effect upon their own church in carrying out the Great Commission. He says there in verse 15, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel. I think it's interesting that how many times he uses or alludes to or refers to the word gospel in this mission-giving church. And it's as though he's letting them know that in the beginning of the gospel, well, for them, the beginning of the gospel started when Paul was brought over to Macedonia and they begin to preach the gospel to them. And they got saved. Many of them got saved. The word gospel is a description of what the church's primary mission is about. And notice how many times Paul refers to it uh, here in this epistle. Uh, and he's reminding us that proclaiming the gospel is the primary fundamental mission of the church. Look at Philippians chapter 1 and look at verse number 5. And, and I'm not going to go through all of these. I'm just going to hit the few that are here in chapter 1. But he says there in verse 3, he said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship and the gospel from the first day until now. This church never ceased to help Paul get the gospel out. In other words, the church at Philippi is being commended that you didn't get sidetracked. You kept missions and the gospel and helping me to get the, that, that, that out uh, uh, you know, the main thing in the church. And, and by the way, that's, that's the only way a church is gonna, ever going to grow. You don't grow a church with programs. You, you don't grow a church with, uh, with pageants. You don't grow a church with picnics. 
you know, I mean, those are all fun and so forth. You don't grow a church by adding something else. And, and, and these churches that are dropping missions and so forth, they may be drawing a crowd to be entertained, but they're not doing what they used to do to help reach the souls that need to be saved. Instead, they're taking the very missionaries that they used to support that preach the gospel and dropping the missionary and saying, we won't support you anymore. And by the way, when a veteran missionary gets dropped, that, that begins to affect him. He's got to come back eventually and raise some new support because the churches that kept him on the field, now his support is dropped. And so he comes back and he tries to get new churches to add him or he tries to get churches that are still supporting him to increase it a little bit uh, to, to make up for the ones that aren't doing it anymore. So he says there uh, in verse number five, for your fellowship and the gospel. Uh, and I'll come back to that in just a moment. Look at verse number seven. He says, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in, in, in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Again, he mentions the gospel there. And then verse number 12, he said, but I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather uh, uh, under the furtherance of the gospel. And then he mentions in verse 17, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. And then he mentions in verse number 27, he said there, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving for the faith of the gospel. I mean, it's like he's driving this point home as a church and trying to say, do not get sidetracked. Keep the gospel the main thing that you do in your church. And keep sending it out and <clears throat> keep helping me. And by the way, I, I just covered a few of these in chapter 1, but if you were to go through the whole book of Philippians, he, he continually reiterates the idea that the fundamental commission and existence of a church is to be spreading the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, fundamental missions and missionary work is all about proclaiming the gospel. And after all, there's a lot of opinions today and ideas when it comes to defining missions or what a missionary is or what missions encompasses. Let me say something, and, and, and please give me liberty for a few minutes here so that you don't misinterpret me, but mission work might also include some humanitarian efforts. <clears throat> in other words, um, you may have to go on the field and help somebody in a humanitarian way and in order to carry out your work. <clears throat> uh, missions work might provide or might, might mean medical aid or ambulatory assistance to those in physical need. And I'm going to qualify some of this in a moment. It might mean that you might need to establish an orphanage, okay, uh, for the abandoned children like we've seen tonight. There may be a need for that. It might include or involve providing food and assisting them in growing things that would help them so they can provide physically for themselves. Uh, the Peace Corps, for example, they consider themselves a missionary work. I don't, according to a biblical missionary work. Because the Peace Corps never really involves the spreading of the gospel. It's just a humanitarian effort. Uh, but, but, but let me say this. None of those should begin to take precedence over the primary objective of every missionary or missionary work. And that is to make sure we're getting them the gospel. 
In other words, I'm, don't go out of here and say, well, Brother Randolph's against an orphanage. No, I'm just against a missionary that's, that finally gets to the point where he's running an orphanage and he's not preaching the gospel anymore. Or I, 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 I'm not for supporting a missionary that goes over and has to open a medical hospital and the next thing you know, he's spending 10 hours a day just you know, putting shots and helping them with their teeth and all of that kind of a thing. What I'm trying to say is you can feed people and you can help them grow crops, and you can do all these other things. But if you don't give them the gospel, they're going to die without Jesus Christ in the end and die and go to hell. So, so in a sense, when we talk about supporting a missionary, we always want to make sure that the missionary is, is there with the idea that even if I have to work in an orphanage, my primary goal is to reach those kids with the gospel. It, it means that if I'm helping those people maybe a, a few hours a day to grow a few crops, I'm not going to forget that I'm there to kit the gospel to them so they can get saved. I'm not there to put in 10 hours a day in the fields. I had a missionary uh, years ago that I won't give you his name, and he's still on the field that I, as I know. And uh, I got concerned because of the fact that the church that was his sending church dropped the name Baptist, and he stayed with that church. And uh, I felt like, you know, if you're not going to be a Baptist and so forth, uh, maybe you ought to get a new sending church. And he decided he wasn't going to do that. But more than that, he went from a country that he was planting churches, he was spreading the gospel, and then he wanted to go into one of these closed countries to, that would not receive missionaries. But he had to go there kind of under the auspices that he was uh, doing something else. Uh, and so he got into this uh, North Korea is where it was. He went into North Korea and with the idea that maybe he would do underground evangelism. And so in order to get a visa to go into North Korea, where he is at, as I understand today, he got involved in growing mushrooms. Uh, he was going to go there and help them to grow mushrooms. And so he said, I will no longer be able to send you letters uh, because uh, North Korea finds out I'm a missionary. And I understand there has to be, you know, incognito if you're in a country where you can't let the name out. I understand all that. I get that. Well, after a number of years, we never got one letter one phone call, one visit, nothing about any souls ever getting saved in North Korea. But what we did get was we got letters showing all the fields of mushrooms and, and then all of the re refrigeration units that he was purchasing to, to, to keep the mushrooms fresh and so forth. And I began to scratch my head after a while. I'm thinking, this guy has got mushrooms on his mind. He hasn't got souls on his mind anymore. You know, he's gotten to the point where we're not, we didn't, when we, when he first came in and we wanted to take him on as a missionary, it was all about him going to South Korea and planting churches, of which he did. But then he changed. And I think, you know, so I, I, I finally wrote him a letter and said, you know, I, I, I'm not going to be your judge or I'm not the Holy Spirit. I can't tell you you shouldn't be there or whatever. But, but you're, we, we can't continue to support someone who's not reaching anybody with our mission dollars. We want to make sure we're getting some kind of fruit back and investment back through giving the gospel out. And I, I understand that maybe he did some of that and so forth, but we never heard anything about it. But it got to the point where there was no churches planted. There was no souls being saved for years. And finally, he called me on the phone and said, Hey, Brother Terry, you know, we were college buddies together and so forth. And I get a letter that you may be considering dropping me and so forth. And I said, Yeah. I said, You know, Brother, you've lost the primary objective of what a church and a missionary is supposed to be doing. Well, these people need food and they need that. And I said, they need the gospel, you know. And so all I'm trying to say tonight is that Paul, 
when he refers to the gospel so much to this church, it's as though he's reiterating to them, don't, you know, stand fast in preaching the gospel. Stand fast and partner with me. Strive together with me in this. And he's writing and he's really thanking them and commending them that no other churches at this time was basically doing that. Hey, there's not a lot of churches tonight holding missions conference like this church is. There's still churches holding missions conference, but there's not as many as it should be. There's not having them. Thank the Lord for Riverside Baptist Church that has still got an outward vision and realizes that our primary objective here in every ministry that we have, somehow we want to find a way to get the gospel. When we had ladies' retreats, when we had men's retreats or whatever it was, we encouraged our members, bring, bring lost ladies, bring lost men. Why? Because we want to preach the gospel to them. We don't want this to be just a fellowship and activity for ourselves. We want it to always be some form of an outreach so that somebody might get saved or somebody might have the seed of the gospel planted in their heart. We want to keep that the primary objective of everything that we do. And that's what we tried to do at Cornerstone Baptist Church, and I know that's the objective of this church. But, 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 but none of these, he says here, should ever take precedence. So I, I'm not against orphanages. I'm not against, you know, food, and I'm not against medical help, and I know I'm not against some type of humanitarian need. But don't ever let it get to the point where your mission letters are reflecting that type of a thing, the Peace Corps worker kind of a thing, the humanitarian kind of a thing, rather than these guys reporting, hey, another soul's been saved. Hey, another church has been planted. I mean, that's the kind of missionary we want to support. Not just church planning missionaries, but those that are winning people to Christ with the gospel. And I understand the results are up to God. They're just to plant the seed and preach the gospel. So after Paul was saved and God separated him, Notice what he says here, uh, there, as his primary objective there, uh, he says uh, that after he was saved and separated him from the church at, at Antioch to go as a missionary to the Gentiles, he said in Romans 1 and verse number 1 that he was called to be an apostle separated unto the gospel of God. In other words, God didn't call me out of the church at Antioch and Barnabas to a work. He separated us to, to the gospel of God. Romans 1.15, so much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And listen, to me the Pauline epistles makes it clear that missions and missionary work is to reach the lost souls with the gospel. I'll read you this passage of scripture. I know you know it is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we call it the great resurrection chapter. But listen to what the Apostle Paul said when he wrote this chapter. He said, though I speak with the tongues, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 15. He said, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you've received and wherein you stand, by which also you're saved, if you keep in memory what I've preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all, this is the first thing I did, he said, when I got in Macedonia. It's the first thing I did when I came to your community. First of all, he said, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So Paul said, hey, listen, when God called me to go into Macedonia, my call to go there was to preach the gospel to every creature that was there and to get a church planted. 
and get those people baptized and, and get them to disciple so that they could partner with me. And he's saying to this church here, thank God that you've stand fast with one mind, with one spirit, striving together with me for the faith of the gospel. So I just want you to understand this thought tonight. Number one, when you give missions dollars and you're, 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 you're putting in missions or you go and you hand out a track or you go soul winning, you are affecting your own church in this sense. You're helping your own church to carry out the fundamental reason for its existence. Now think about that. Every time you pass a track out, you're helping your church. You're affecting this church in a way where it helps to help it carry out the fundamental objective of the church. When you don't soul win, you don't pass out tracts, you don't give to missions, but you do everything else, you're doing the secondary thing, but not the main thing. And the main thing that we should all be doing is always making sure we're giving out the gospel. That's the main thing. Then secondly, not only does it affect your own church when you give to help them carry out that fundamental objective, but secondly, your mission giving and your getting involved in missions helps bring the lost man into a spiritual fellowship. Spiritual fellowship. Look, at, look, look with me for just a moment here. Uh, and, and, and the idea of this is uh, in chapter number 1, if you go to Philippians there, in this little letter that he writes, in Philippians 1, notice what he says here. Again, I thank my God upon every remembrance. He says in verse 5, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Now that's interesting because the word fellowship here is not like cake and coffee. It's the idea, it comes from the word, the same word that we talk about, uh, strive, to partner with. He's thanking them that they partnered with him in the gospel. That they were partners together in this fellowship. And as I thought about this, I thought, first of all, your, your mission's involvement affects your church, but affects the lost man as well, because listen, there was a time when all these people that he's thanking were once lost. And he took the gospel to them, and they got saved, and now they're partnering with him. So the gospel not only affects your church carrying out the Great Commission, but it also affects the lost man because it brings him in to a fellowship uh, together. Uh, first of all, it brings you into it brings the lost into a fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. There in First John chapter number one, and I just want to emphasize this point. But he says that which was from the beginning in chapter one, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon in our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested, we've seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us, that we that, uh, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So really, when we get the gospel out to a lost man, and he receives the gospel... He's automatically brought into a spiritual fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saved. You see, you're not in fellowship with God till you get saved. We're out of fellowship with God. And the whole idea of Jesus Christ dying on the cross of Calvary and paying the price for our sin so he could bring back lost sinners into a fellowship with him again so that we could be partners with God. The Bible talks about how that we're laborers together with God. God needs us and we need God. God, God could save the whole world by just speaking it into existence if he wanted to, but he's chosen to use the church as the institution to carry forth the gospel, and the church is made up of private individuals. 
The church isn't a corporate uh, organization. It, it, it's made up of members. Each of you are a member of this church and this fellowship. And so when the gospel goes out, it goes out to the lost, and the lost get saved. They enter into a fellowship with God. But then secondly, there in Acts chapter 2, it says, and they that gladly received his word were then baptized and added. It means they were added to the church, which the church already existed before Pentecost. And so they were added to the church. Every time someone gets saved and baptized, they're now added to the fellowship of a local church. That's how it works. And then thirdly, it was a fellowship with Paul. I read that already. He's thanking them. He's saying, you didn't only get into fellowship with God when I gave you the gospel, and you didn't only get into a fellowship of a local church after you got baptized, but you got into fellowship with me in endeavoring to help me. You know, Paul was interdependent upon these people that got saved to help him. And we are, there's, there's people out here that need us as a church to help them. They cannot do this by themselves. They cannot go to the field on their own. They don't have the funds and the monies to do that. They go by faith. They go by the fact that some church will make a commitment to say, well, support you so much a month. And then they, by faith, take that commitment and they go by faith, never knowing whether or not anybody from those churches or any individuals within those churches will ever keep that commitment. And so they're going to go by faith that they, 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 on the promise that you're going to help them. And so when they get to the field, obviously the checks come in. Thank the Lord for faithful people in the church. We're not just making a commitment to somebody and then saying, well, when they get outside and into the parking lot, drive away, we ain't going to give it to them. I mean, that would be horrible. I used to tell our missionaries, listen, if you ever have someone drop you and you're hurting, would you notify us? Because I would rather do something to shorten our general budget a little bit so we could help out somebody so that you don't have to come off the field. In other words, we're not going to drop you as a missionary. I don't care how bad it gets, we'll drop something back here before we're going to drop you. That's the way I always looked at it. And, and, and the Lord honored that, and we never had to drop a missionary in all the years that I pastored there. We were always increasing all the time. Because I always felt like, hey, the missionary, he has no way to get a job on the field. He has no way to get income coming in. He just takes it by faith from those that promised it. And so a lost man, the gospel affects not just your church to carry out the, its objective, but it affects also the lost man so he can come into the same fellowship because these that he's writing to used to be lost, and now he's commending them. Since you, from the beginning of the gospel, now you've communicated with me. It's amazing what the gospel will do in a person's life. You know, how it'll change you. And then, and then it was a fellowship with other churches to work together. You know, uh, not one church. Someone said, well, why can't just one church take on JB and get him to the field right now? He's already got a house. And already got a place to live, he's ready to go. Why couldn't one church just raise the whole amount that he needs and say, get, get on the plane tomorrow, we'll support you. Because if, if that church giving ever dropped, he, he, wouldn't ha- he would be dependent on just one church to keep him on the field. And that, that was never God's plan to begin with. It was never God's plan for one church to send out the whole missionary and supporting the whole thing. 
God's plan was that every lost person that ever received the gospel and got involved with a local church was to partner in those local churches and become interdependent upon one another. Hey, listen, my, our goal was to try to reach the whole state of Arizona uh, with the gospel and plant churches in Arizona. Cornerstone could never do that by itself. We needed more churches to help us. And so we have a fellowship. We call it a fellowship of churches within uh, our state. And we work together. We partner together to keep getting the gospel out to these little towns and, and supporting guys that want to, that are called to go to these places. We, uh, we can't do it by ourselves. We, we need the help of interdependency of one, one another. And it's the same thing here. One or two or five or 15 of you can't carry all the missionaries. Everybody has to get involved. You've been saved. I said last night, if you've been a partaker of the spiritual things, it's your duty to give. It's your, it, it, you're a debtor to the, to the Greek and to the barbarian. You, you, you ought to have a desire to do those kind of things. And when you do, it affects your objective as a church, but it also affects the lost. And then real quickly here, uh, third, your missions giving and your involvement in missions has an effect upon the missionary himself. Now, I don't know if you thought about this, but, but he has needs. And Paul is writing about that there in Philippians if you go back to the text there in Philippians chapter 4, he, he says this, he says, You Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica you sent once and again unto my necessity. Paul had needs. You said, well, yeah, but Paul should have been dependent upon the Lord. Yeah, he was dependent upon the Lord, and the Lord wanted to use the design of those people to help meet those needs. God always uses people to help the need, touches the hearts of people to give. And so we always give the credit to God. We don't say, look what we're doing, but it's what God does through us that makes it possible. He supplies the money. He supplies the burden, the compassion. He's the one that gives that to us. And so it's really God. I mean, when I pray, God, would you help meet some of our needs? You know, we're on the road. God, would you help meet some of our needs? I don't. I just pray to the Lord, and then it's amazing how that when we get to some places, somebody will come up to us that didn't even know the need, and God has laid it on their heart, and the need is met. But it was met through those people, but really God is the one that put it there. Isn't that amazing? That's how he works. But, but the missionary, when you give mission dollars in your missions conference, it, it, it affects your church, it affects the lost, but, but it affects the missionary because some of those dollars that you give are going to help to meet some of the needs and carry him on his way. I want you to look at a couple of passages with me real quickly here. And, and it's found in 3 John, the little book of 3 John. 3 John verses number 7 and 8. <clears throat> the writer says, because for that, his namesake, they went forth. Speaking about missionaries, those doing the work of God, taking nothing of the Gentiles. They're not taking and dependent on the Gentiles. We, therefore, ought to receive such, that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. I mean, really, this little third John is a missionary letter as well, and, and the writer here, John, is, is encouraging them that, hey, listen, these people that God is calling to go out, you ought to receive them, and you ought to help them on their way, and do whatever you can to help them. I mean, this is, the, this is God's plan to help the missionary. There in Philippians 3, he said, uh, it, it, it furnishes the needs of the missionary. Paul is thanking them and, and saying, you know, you didn't, 
you, you, you met some of my needs. I, I want to thank you for communicating and distributing some of this unto my needs. Thank you for helping me. Have you ever just thought about that when you throw your whatever amount money is in an envelope and smart missions, besides that, just to stop and think about it and say, you know what I've just done? I've just helped my church stand fast in the Great Commission. I'm, I'm helping it in that way. Uh, you know what I've just done uh, by me giving to missions in this way? I, 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 I've helped to bring the lost into a fellowship. Every person that will ever get saved will join our fellowship in maybe somebody else's church, but they're going to join that fellowship eventually, and they'll get on board and they'll be helping. So I'm helping the lost with my mission dollars as well. And besides that, I'm helping a missionary to meet some of his needs. He's furnishing the needs of the missionary. Then fourthly, your missionary giving has an effect upon the Christian, you. You say, wait a minute. When I give my mission dollars, how in the world does it affect me? I, I don't have, it doesn't affect me. Well, according to Paul, it does. If you look back here to Philippians, go back to the passage there in Philippians chapter number 4, and listen to what he says. He says, for even in Thessalonica, verse 16, you sent once and again unto my necessity. That was meeting the needs of the missionary. But then he says, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. So really, when you give missions dollars, your mission dollars is going to affect you because it's going to be fruit that will be abounding to your account. You're going to be affected by this. <laughs> you know, as I thought about this point here, uh, you know, and, and who gets affected by our mission dollars and our missions involvement. Listen, when you participate in missions specifically and souls get saved, it results in fruit that goes on your account. You know, I, I have... Um, I have two checking accounts. I ha used to have a rental home that I don't have anymore. Thank the Lord I'm not a landlord anymore. I had an old rental house and we got rid of it. But anyway, I had an account where the rent money would go into a separate account from my salary and so forth. Well, I have two accounts at the bank. Well, I have a savings account too, two checking accounts. And, and so there's certain monies in those accounts. And there's money in those accounts because I deposit it into those accounts. Whether it's through a salary or assume money, a love offer, and whatever it is, it goes into that account. If I don't put anything in the account, then there's nothing in the account. There's a zero balance. Now, I like to think of the fact that when Paul said that when you give, it's going to go on your account, I kind of like to think about the idea that we might have a spiritual account up in heaven. And every time that you put in a mission dollars it, and somebody gets saved or whatever, and I think it's just the fact that you're making a deposit into the work of God, God's automatically going to put that to your account. And every time a soul is saved, fruit to your account. And your account, and your account keeps getting built up. And, and as I was thinking about that even today, I, 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 if it depended on your giving and your going, where your account would stand tonight. In other words, for every soul saved and life changed, how many are on your account as a result of that? You know, if it means you're giving uh, so much, I, I grew up on a fruit farm in Michigan, and it's the kind of fruit you ate, not the kind that were being taken care of mentally, but, uh, but I grew up on a fruit farm, and uh, so people would come by to buy fruit. And if they had $20, they would buy, you could only buy so much fruit with $20. If you, if you had $500, you could get a lot of fruit. 
I, I kind of look on it that my fruit is going to have a lot to do with how much I'm spending you know, on souls. How much I'm giving of myself. How much I'm sacrificing money of my own and investing it into that spiritual account. So if you really think about this, uh, you know, if it meant that we had to look at your spiritual account in heaven and say, what's your balance up there? I mean, how much have you invested in that spiritual account? Because Paul said, I'm not doing this, you're, you're giving, <coughs> not so that I can have a gift, but it's so that I can get the gospel out, and every time the gospel's given out, the fruit from that gospel is going to go on your account. That's really what he's saying. And I, it convicted me when I read this years and years ago. It motivated me to want to say, you know what, I want to keep increasing my account up there. We put a lot in our accounts down here so we can stay fat, we can be comfortable, but how much do we put into the account that God wants to add in heaven? And here's the last thought, and this is probably, in my opinion, the, most, the one that gets affected the most. If you notice there in verse number 18, after he has said um, this affects the church, it affects the lost, it affects the missionary, it affects you. Look at verse 18. But I have all and abound, I'm full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell. Listen to this. A sacrifice acceptable well-pleasing to God. You know, I, 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 I believe that, that your emissions of dollars affects God in this way, that missions is a sweet fragrance, a sweet smell in the, in the nostrils of God. Every time somebody adds money to a missions account, it becomes a sweet fragrance. We have in our home, and you probably have in yours, maybe one of these, and uh, you spray it now and then to make things smell sweet. You know, in a motor home, it's not very big. It's only eight feet wide if the slides are in, and ours is 40 feet long, but when the slides are out, it's still not that big. And, you know, when you're living in a box, the smells are not always the greatest at times. So every once in a while, you have to, you know, Sweeten it so that you've got this sweet-smelling odor in your nostrils. Now, here's what, here, here's what he's really saying here. Listen to me. He is saying that every time that somebody like Epaphroditus brought the, the offerings or the gifts from a church to be given to a missionary, it became a sweet-smelling savor in the nostrils of God. God was going up in heaven and going... Mm, somebody just gave to missions. No, seriously. If somebody, somebody goes out and passes a track out, God goes, hmm, somebody just got the gospel out. No, I, I'm serious. That's what he's, he's saying here. Paul is saying, hey, you're not just being affected by this. You're not the only ones getting the fruit. God is being affected. He smells what you're doing. It's like a sweet-smelling odor. Every time somebody walks down here and, and says, I want to give my life to the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm presenting my body as a living sacrifice. Boop. The Lord goes, hmm, that smells good. Soul gets saved. Hmm, there's another one. I, I'm going to increase my missions this year. 
good. Mm. Heaven must smell good when we're doing that which is well-pleasing to God. You know, if I don't stop, I'm going to be totally ready to fall over here. Because <laughs> it's all coming back in my face. <laughs> Spring renewal. That's what I smell like. <laughs> no, I, 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 it, it just amazes me that it's an odor of a sweet smell. Now here's what, if something's not a sweet smell, then it stinks. Right? If it doesn't smell good, it means it smells bad. So when someone's not giving, no sweet smell. When somebody's not surrendering, Lord, it's not a sweet smell. It's not a sweet odor. It's not even a sacrifice. When somebody's not passing out tracts, the Lord's up in heaven saying, I don't smell anything good today. Man, you know what I want to do? I want, I want to make heaven smell good all the time. I want my Savior to be able to, every day, know that whatever I do, it's smelling good to the Lord. That's what, that's what he's saying here, is that your mission giving, and he is commending this church for their mission giving. He's saying, boy, you don't know how much I appreciate the sacrifices that you've made. In fact, your sacrifice was so acceptable that it, it's like a sweet-smelling odor, and it's well-pleasing to God. How could it be well-pleasing to God unless he was smelling it? There are certain smells that aren't pleasing, and there are certain smells that are. And when a church says, we're going to increase, we're going to give, we're going to go, we're going to do what we're supposed to do. I, I, I'm just telling you here tonight that, that when Paul wrote to this church, he, he's saying, that folks, uh, it affects more than just the offering plate. It goes so much further and beyond uh, giving just a few dollars. It has a fundamental effect upon your church. It has a fellowship effect upon the lost. It has a furnishing effect upon the missionary. It has a fruit effect upon you. It has a fragrant, a fresh effect upon God. And to me, missions is is what God wants us to do. This is why we're here. This is, this is what the week has been dedicated for, so that you can all be giving God a sweet-smelling Savior. And really, it, it, even if it affects the missionary one way or it affects us, uh, isn't really everything we do should bring glory and honor to the one who made it possible to begin with. That's why we do it. We're not doing it to be able to boast. We're doing it so that God can... can, can Every day, smell that sweet-smelling odor in his nostrils, and no, another one surrendered. I, I think these missionary couples that you have here, one that going to go work with the Jews, another one with the Filipinos, a, a young man and his wife are going to go out and build buildings and churches to save churches money. <laughs> That's a sweet-smelling savor to God. Millions of dollars are going to be saved because they're going to be willing to to go there, and they, they're saying, if you'll support us a little bit, we won't even have to charge those churches to help build those buildings. And they can use that money they would have put into that building, they can give it to missions, or they can get it to, for souls to be saved. All of these guys that are going and called of God to do these different perspective works becomes that sweet-smelling savor in the nostrils of God. Wouldn't you like to make God say, mm-hmm, 
And when you gave, add that to his account. Put that on his account. And use some of that to furnish that missionary. Oh, 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 and by the way, use some of that to get that gospel out so that lost man can come into the fellowship with us. And by the way, use some of that money right there so that the church can keep on keeping on doing what I intended the church to do fundamentally. That's why he writes the letter. He's writing this letter to say this, this to this church. Your mission giving and your mission's involvement goes much further and affects more people and more uh, institution than you think it does. And to me, that challenges me to want to give and want to go and want to do my part for world missions. Let's bow our heads together tonight. Father, I thank you for the Apostle Paul and writing this little short letter, just four chapters, short chapters too. But he writes it all about their involvement in missions and how that Epaphroditus brought the things which were sent from them, which became that odor of a sweet smell. It was a sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing to God. Father, thank you for your love to us. Thank you tonight that we had the opportunity to be here. And now we pray that as we uh, close the service and we have an altar call or an invitation, maybe tonight, Lord, your Holy Spirit could speak to some hearts that may not be giving to missions and say, you know, I never really realized how much my mission dollars affects and who it affects until tonight. And that encourages me to want to give more. That encourages me to want to get more involved. I pray that might be the case tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand quietly to our feet tonight with our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a few moments. And as the music plays and our song leader begins to sing the invitation song I want to encourage you just to come tonight and say Lord would you help me to create a good smell up in heaven you know I think when I think of a church that takes the name Baptist off and drops their missionaries and becomes self-serving I think that becomes a stench in the nostrils of God but when a church continues to give and continues to go and continues to win souls continues to help missionaries. God's up in heaven saying, thank you. You're making heaven smell so good when you do that. You come as he sings tonight, would you? Come on. I gave my life for thee. Thank you for being in the services today with us at Riverside Baptist Church. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, we certainly would like to help you with that. You can get more information at our website at rbcstjoe.com or call here at the church. If you're a believer and God has spoken to your heart, I hope you'll take time to turn aside and let him have his way in your life. If we can help in any way, shape, or form, please feel free to contact us. We look forward to ministering to you again.